0: Philosophers. Philosophers. So, David, what's this week's topic? Let's talk about the cohabitation of belief systems. What happens, you know, why, uh, why, why do we believe different things and how do we get along? Right. I think we've talked a little bit already about kind of why we believe different things I think it all kind of stems from differing experiences, but um, it, it is important to talk. I think about, you know, how our differing experiences lead to us being either cooperative or not in an, a societal setting. Um, I would just like to also bring up that I think this is going to this is a subject that is more prevalent now than ever in history, mm-hmm. uh, mainly due to the interconnectedness of the world. I was going to, to say the same thing, that uh, in the past, we did, really didn't have to get along with people who disagreed with us because we were physically isolated from them. Right. Well, or, that, or the thing too, and this we'll kind of go into more depth with this later, is there are varying degrees as to how differing your belief systems can be. And, you know, if you look at most historical societies, they still had differences and they still had disagreements within the society, but they were about very specific things. And if you look at the whole, they still agreed on about 90 percent of their belief system was the same, you know, uh, in, in, in like especially religious societies, they have their differences and they're even very rigid belief system, but they still argue about very small things but it's okay because they still have a, a larger degree of cohesion, you know, whereas nowadays I feel there are very large differences uh, in belief systems that I don't think we, we innately consider because we are typically so used to talking and discussing or being around people that we share a large percentage of beliefs with, you know. Especially at a young age, when we are pretty much forming our belief systems. Um, like as an, uh, like just to say, you know, well, most people, their best friend for the longest time is the person they just happen to sit next to in kindergarten. And there's a reason for that. And it's because um, you share a lot of the experiences together, um, especially when you're young. And you build a lot of your belief system off of your experiences. Um, especially when you're young like that so they develop together you know like I have a friend who I don't speak to very often anymore but whenever I see him and I speak to him it's as though we are still best friends because so much of our foundational belief systems were our practical belief systems uh, were formed right alongside each other and that's nearly impossible to duplicate I feel like you know that's why uh, I feel most of your lifelong friends for instance are people you make friends with when you're young, right? Um, not always, uh, or, or people you spend large amounts of time with at critical times in your life, I right. should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but one that we all tend to share is uh, going to school for the first time and mm-hmm. such. So, But now um, it's very common for people to migrate from far away places. And I think when we really start framing out, and I'll let you take over here in a second, um, how we can cohabitate with these other people, with other belief systems, it's, uh, it's worthy to take into account that we need to be more careful because it's not... We need to be more careful when we're discussing scope here because I think the discussion about how do I uh, cohabitate with someone who has a belief system different than mine that is nominal as opposed to one that might be foundational I think that that might play a role into it, but right, um, yeah, I guess that's where I want to go with it. Okay, well, uh, in in true philosopher's fashion, let's. Uh, I suggest we we step back and talk about what we're talking about for a little bit. Sure, let's talk about what we're talking about. Um, so one of the things that I uh, mentioned in our in our last episode was I I, I hinted at the different. Uh, Sources of our our moral intuitions, but let's talk specifically about all the different ways, all the different places our beliefs come from, um, and and from this we can we can answer the question of why do we even believe different things in the first place. So you know, of course, in the beginning we have our intuitions. That's what we've all got, and all of our intuitions from a very young age are basically the same. Um, because it's just coming straight from the biology. Uh, you have input and you give output. That's just how it works. Um, the the next The next thing is demonstration. So as you're learning things when you are uh, are very little, um, you know people will show you things and and you'll you'll learn these things that they show you and then you'll come to believe them because that's how learning works. Um, so intuitions and demonstration now. Where where it starts to get special and where people immediately start uh, diverging is when those around you, authority figures, let's say parents or uh, or other adults, um, begin to tell you things that they believe, and because you are so young and trusting, you take this at their word. Um, this is the the fundamentals of indoctrination, um, which is where a large portion of, of the earth's population get most of their core beliefs from is indoctrination, um, where they they have not they have not carefully considered the things that they believe. Their beliefs have been handed to them by adults when they were children. Um, Which I mean, that kind of makes sense uh, because children tend to be very gullible and. They have no other choice. They don't have the tools by which to question the adults. Right. After all, the adults have been right about everything so far. Sure. Or, I mean, what is right even? Right. You know, it's what the adult says. It's synonymous to you at that point. And and it makes sense. And I want to kind of go ahead and caveat here that, you know, I, I, I would argue that it's natural for even parents to do this because you being an individual, if you believe you are right... And you have no reason to believe otherwise. Why would you not pass that on to your offspring? You know exactly. Well, and uh, and also it's easy. Yeah. Um, you know, especially you know, a lot of the the places where children might pick up something like uh, the belief in a god is because they begin asking questions about the origin of things, and well, if the parents believe in a god, that's their explanation for things, so they give it. Mm-hmm. And they're being honest in that moment, um, but that that's that's how that gets in. So sure. Um, so then, after after someone matures a little bit, they develop some rudimentary reasoning skills, um, and they're able to, to reason things and begin to question the things that they have been taught already, that the beliefs that have been handed to them either by nature or by the culture around them. Um, and so they can, they can form beliefs this way, either by questioning old beliefs, or by taking the things they already believe and taking them to further conclusions, logically. Um, so you can form beliefs on your own through reason. Uh, in the case of beliefs which have been indoctrinated into a person, reason is tempered by fear. Fear is another place where, where beliefs can either come from or be reinforced by. Um, if someone begins to question, you know, a, a sacred belief, uh, threats are often made um, in order to get them to question their own reason, uh, because the fear is a very powerful tool to uh, to get someone to to change their behavior, even if it's good, or if it's not for for a good reason. Um, sure, and that that's natural. I mean, because it, fear is a good thing. I would argue mm-hmm. as far as biology is concerned. It is the system by which you don't die. Right. Um, and you know avoiding death is avoiding death. The the wideness of the margin is irrelevant to you so long as you're alive ultimately. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and fear is just the reinforcing factor to make you not even attempt something that could result in death or to stay as far away from it as possible because you can only and, and die be, once. And to be overly cautious. You know, right, the because classic example, you know, you're a human 10,000 years ago, uh, you hear a rustling in the bushes. It's probably the wind, but it might be a jaguar. So you assume it's a jaguar because if it's, if it's actually a jaguar and you think it's the wind, you're dead. But if it's actually the wind and you think it's a jaguar, you're good either way. Yeah. In game theory, it's a pretty solid um, answer what you should do in that case. Right. Um, three out of four outcomes ensure uh, you live. Or two outcomes assure you live. One is you probably will live and the other is death. So take chances, but don't. <laughs> right. So um, then uh, along with fear, I guess fear is just one type of psychological manipulation. Um where people can be put in situations where they're made to believe things because of the psychological condition they're put in during the situation. Um, Lots of religious organizations do this uh, with teenagers. Um, They'll put them in situations where they're where they make themselves a little bit gullible, um, where they, they are are made to let their defenses down as far as uh, new ideas, uh, or, or um, you know, maybe uh, maybe pulling at um, at cultural values they may hold, and making them think that to to question the belief is to question these values that they already hold. Right, and to give an example of that, in addition to something else that's done is. Uh, Oh, there's a reason churches don't look like other buildings most of the time. You know, uh, There's a reason that stained glass and the ambiance is a part of the religious experience most of the time. It's a way of signaling legitimacy, whether it's actual or not. To It's very similar to how if a person walks into a doctor's office, it's a doctor's office because it's got white walls, people in scrubs, there's stainless steel utensils lying around and hospital beds. It's a hospital or a doctor's office because it looks like one. It, it's function... It, practically speaking, to you an individual. Now, it could do none of those things. It could do none of the things a doctor's office could do. But if you a person walked in, it's a doctor's office. And if a person in Scrubs tells you something, you the, in medically related, it's going to... You'll probably believe them. You'll probably yeah. believe them. Now, in the religious... Uh, example, if you see, well, if you see a guy, uh, I'm, I'm going to pick on the Catholic Church a little bit because mm-hmm. they think they take this to an extreme a little bit. But for, for what I've experienced, um, their clergy wear clothes, they wear robes, they wear, you know, or they wear the black with the white tileless collars, mm-hmm. you know. The they have cathedrals and uh, and their churches are very ornate and. Everybody behaves a certain way when they're inside. It's they're pulling on the ideas of respect and you know tradition, and this has always existed. And they're tapping into the human fascination with things that have existed with for long periods of time mm-hmm. to to manipulate. and And don't get me wrong, I, I don't think necessarily that individuals that are a part of these groups intend to manipulate via this method. No, they but, do. But it but it's effective. you know, if you walk into a church, even people I know who are not believers at all, um, or people who care not for the church at all, when they go into a church when on the rare occasion they do, they they do behave slightly different, you know. Um, for instance, when people go to funerals that are held in churches or weddings that are held in churches, you behave slightly differently most of the time. Um, and it's and they use the phrase out of respect, will you? And then, you know, take off your hat, you know, as uh, certain religions, take off your shoes or whatever, whatever be it, you know, in, in the house of God or the house of worship or, you know, this place. So it's, it, there are definitely a physical reminders that kind of pull at your um, deeper psychological strings to help, you know, reinforce these beliefs as well, because uh, nothing's like... Uh, there's nothing like believing and seeing something, you know, and when all the other factors are there, it's really easy to fill in the blanks when something's not there. You know? Right. So, and you mentioned this earlier. What I'm getting to here is that all of these things are ultimately experiences. Mm-hmm. Your intuitions are experiences. Things that have been shown to you are experiences. Um, and all, all these things, they're experiences. And it's obvious. Everyone has different experiences, so of course, we're all going to believe different things. Um, and so so this is just, this is something we have to deal with. Um, so, what happens when ideas clash? When, now this could be intrapersonal or interpersonal. You, you might have an experience which conflicts with something you believe on your own, or somebody else might tell you something they believe that conflicts with what you believe. So there there's a few things that can happen there. The things that I've come up with say that it's just yourself. We would hope that if you had an experience that uh, that went against your beliefs that you would take some time to do some self-reflection based on this experience and uh, and think about what this means, about uh, what you believe, in, and should it change your worldview or anything like that. But, of course, this uh, does not happen as often as we hope it would, and normally this results in uh, cognitive dissonance. Well, yeah, because uh, that's hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> Admitting you're wrong is hard. Yes. Um, well, reflection is hard. I mean, people... But especially re- reflection in the face of, I think I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, so, so of course, cognitive dissonance uh, is, a, is a big problem where you know you might just shrug off the experience and try to rationalize it away or something like that, which is easy, it, which is very easy. Um, now, interpersonal conflicts like this, um, we would hope that they would lead to argumentation and criticism, and I mean these in the in the most wholesome way, not uh, not bickering, but true argumentation and uh, and not uh, hatred, but genuine criticism of uh, of something that uh, someone might be erroneous about. Or discourse, as you know, we discuss a lot about. Right. Now I think, uh, I don't want to cut you off, but I do think I, it's important to bring up here that um, the, I don't know that this is necessarily applied to intrapersonal, but interpersonal disagreements are, uh, Clashing of differing belief systems. Um, I feel there are a range of scenarios that can exist, um, in ranging in. I, I think there's a there's a continuum of how possible it would be to even achieve what you're talking about as far as argumentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to get more into you know, which bucket are you in on this continuum, you know, as far as how, if you find yourself in the situation, you know, what what ways that we, we notice it kind of goes down the following paths and how the best outcomes for each path I think would be something I'd like to discuss a little bit. Uh, if you want to finish your capstone about it, you're more than welcome to. I don't want to cut you off. I just wanted to interject a little bit. Sure. The, the last thing that I was going to say could happen, uh, I mean, There are other things I'm probably leaving out, but you know, worst-case scenario, violence, of course, um, where your conflicting beliefs are apparently to you totally irreconcilable, and the only way to solve your differences is to see who can kill the other, right? um, Or otherwise incapacitate them and get out of the situation, right? Um, So this is of course an unfavorable outcome, and it's what we seek to avoid by figuring out how how we can best uh, interact with conflicting belief systems. Right. Um, let's go ahead and drill down an intrapersonal first, because I feel like there's that's not very deep, because it is a single unit. I, I mean, it might be deep for an individual. It is and deep experience. for the person going through it. Right, but it's not as... It, it, the complexity is sourced only in that individual, whereas when you have two people or even worse, to groups of people, the complexities just get wildly out of control mm-hmm. and we have to start making generalizations. Now, when it comes to individuals, I, I will admit, uh, I think there are differing levels of capability for individuals to self-assess. And even within the, the ability of each individual to self-assess, it's, it depends on the subject you're self-assessing, Right. Um, and I'll be the first to admit that I have weaknesses in this area I will defend a point to a fault at times and I'll, I'll admit it, I, I, I do I stick to my guns as it's delicately put when it comes to things I believe and it's be- and I, I, I will say it's because I've done a lot of thinking about what I believe and I've verified what I believe in a very strong sense but I think it's important to remember, and I always try to remember this, is just because this is what I believe, it doesn't mean that it's what I always have to believe. It's Um, very easy to make your beliefs a part of your identity, and we've talked about this before. Yes. uh, And and I think that's... And we we sort of poison ourselves this way by using labels. Sure. You You might say, I'm a libertarian. Right. And so now if if something comes along that would make you change your mind about something where you could no longer wear the label, it almost feels like you're losing a part of yourself or something like that. Right. But the thing, because we have talked about it, uh, but I think I want to kind of expand a little bit more on when it clashes like that. Um, I don't think there is any healthy way for an individual to hold differing belief systems or conflicting beliefs. Let's just say that. Because you only have one belief system, or uh-huh. God, I hope you only have one belief system, uh, but you can hold conflicting beliefs. That's the cognitive dissonance you talked yes, about. Yes, you definitely can hold conflicting beliefs. Well, well cognitive dissonance can, arrive, can arise because you hold conflicting beliefs, but that's not what cognitive dissonance is. Uh, I, I, yeah, I was just saying that's what you had mentioned. You'd mentioned cognitive dissonance, right. but in the tone of... Differing beliefs, but that's that's the important thing about it is when you I think when you hold differing belief systems, there's always going to come a time in your life where it it's it's not going to settle well, and you know life has a way of bringing up situations that you never think you'll encounter. You know, I, I know plenty of people that's uh, and myself included at times who have been under the assumption of well I believe this, but they've never had a situation test that belief either. And then when you when push comes to shove, it's you know, and and reality happens. You're in the scenario where the belief that you claim to hold dictates an action, and you don't take that action, or you take an action that the belief would dictate that you don't. Right? You behave in a way differently than you think, and that's difficult um, uh, because the whole point of belief beliefs and belief systems is to eventually guide our behavior. I mean, we can think, you know, what about what is right and wrong, you know, so we're dead, but ultimately the effects of what we believe are seen through our actions or inactions. Um, and so that's, and that gets really interesting when it comes to the intrapersonal because, you know, there are many people who, there are written accounts, I'll... I'll I like to look at written accounts of, for instance, some um, people who have killed another person in self-defense or in defense of another, you know. And it's hard to adopt, you know, to, to deal with that ramification. And no, me wrong. It's traumatic. That's part of it. The, right. the actual act or result is just trauma, period. But there's a deeper thing that always gets discussed uh, when you read these accounts about, you know... There's self-guilt, you know, and uh, you're hard on yourself, you know, and while I, I think there's a fine line to be had between being able to assess when you have ideas conflict uh, and there's, there's a, smooth, a sweet spot between I'm just not going to deal with it and let the cognitive dissonance sink in. Or just let it, you know, and the other end of I need to drop whatever I'm doing and resolve this immediately. And it's urgent and I'm going to feel bad until I figure out what's right, you know, because ultimately, you know, these things take time. And I think that's that's one thing about the, intra, about the intrapersonal that's uh, unique is that you can take that time. You, know, you you can take as long as you might need to 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 actually adopt or, or to sort out the beliefs that conflict, whereas in the interpersonal that gets a lot more complicated. Right, you're you're in the moment when the when it happens, and there's someone else putting the heat on you to hurry up and and either change your mind or uh, or say what you're going to say. Right now. Um, That's all I really had to say about the intrapersonal. Um, I I just wanted to bring it up because I think, you know, you and I both have talked at some length about how we have each been undergoing belief system changes, or at least belief changes. Right. Um, And how we, I think in our first episode, we talked about how it's actually healthy to be able to do that, Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, what's the point in being able to do it if you don't, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in some ways. but it it is hard, you know, and I think that's one thing to uh, to keep in mind as well is you know it's we're doing it for our for our well being ultimately, you know. Um, I'd like to sidetrack a little bit. Sure. And say uh, that that's sort of my uh, my personal problem with formal debates actually is that on one hand your interlocutor is putting the heat on you to change your mind, but the audience is putting the heat on you to not change your mind because right. this is a debate and you need to stick it till the end and not change your mind. Because if you get five minutes into an expected two-hour-long debate and you say, oh, yeah, you got a pretty good point, Adjourned. You know? Yeah, People are like, oh. That's <laughs> well, because people love conflict. And, you know, right. and, I, and I think that's one of the more harmful things about the social media, and I'm just going to go ahead and say YouTube attitude towards... Intellectual giants, as they will frame them, the most, you know, verb, not verbose, but the most uh, hyperbolic, yeah, hyperbolic, grandiose language ever. Yeah. The two titans of mental fortitude, yeah. you know, <laughs> clash. Only one will be left standing. And if you watch the video, and it's just two guys sitting in armchairs uh, on a stage in front of hundreds of people, talking calmly you know about right. right something that's really complicated um you know, like the Sam Harris Jordan Peterson thing was huge mm-hmm. in some of the YouTube circles for a while and it and it's it's unfortunate because I feel like the public debate can actually stifle progress at times yes um because of the getting caught in the thrill of the conflict right Yeah, you know we're human beings you lose you lose track of what you're actually trying to do right but uh Anyway, so yeah, I'm good with that sidetrack. No, that was good. All right, so uh, returning to the uh, returning to the topic at hand. Uh, so here's here's something that must be answered if we're going to try to figure out how differing belief systems can uh, cohabitate. Okay, are beliefs equal in value? Because this is what a lot of people get hung up on. They're like, "Oh, well, it's just what they believe," and you gotta respect that. And you know, who are, who are you to tell them their culture is wrong or something like that? I would say I think there's even a prerequisite to this, even maybe, or maybe okay. it's a co-requisite. I don't know. Okay. But it is. Uh, at what point is it? Is it even a belief that matters when it? Like, I'm gonna say uh, people who hold beliefs that don't don't. Uh, affect their actions you know they might debate vehemently these beliefs but push comes to shove they don't live them out you know and 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 i'm i don't want to get blamed for moving the ball here uh, because um i know you give me some criticism before for uh, being a fan of a certain individual who loves to move the ball with language and i don't want to do that (laughs) um because i could easily just say the following um you don't believe it if you don't live that way, or you don't act it out. You know, that's a very—you uh, get that a lot, and that's—that's yeah. that's a shrouding. I think a different argument. It, it is, yeah, that is a different argument. Actually, I I could have an argument about that because that that's one of the things that is still left over from uh, from my uh, prior religiosity that uh, that I think. I think that you can believe something without acting on it. Right. But, uh, okay, so it it can still be a belief if you can act without it affecting your actions. Right. Like, you know, let's, uh, you know, you think it's wrong to steal, okay? And you steal something. You can still think that it's wrong also while acknowledging that you've done it. Yeah, but we're All not talking you're... about thinking whether it's wrong. It's believing whether it's wrong. It's well, right, different. right. Well, you, know, you you believe it's wrong. It's just that by extension, you believe that you've done something wrong. Right, but what I guess I'm trying to get at is there are people who legitimately believe, for instance, I'm going to take it to the opposite extreme. Okay. There are people who legitimately believe that um, sacrificing themselves to kill others in a holy war is a legitimate way to ensure life after death Uh right now they don't just think that you know yeah Mm -hmm. it's one thing to think that because i can think that i can contemplate what that would be like and that's thinking about it but believing it's an entirely different thing because it you know can cause actual damage and it's not and don't get me wrong they're dead they can't see how they feel about it afterwards but you know there's the same thing religious crusades you know why am i doing this i'm doing this because i believe that it is the right thing to do because god said so and i'm going to now go murder this tribe of people and feel good about it right so you know i don't don't, it's a semantic argument it depends it depends what you mean by believe because I mean, if you're if you're going to wrap into your definition of belief that you would act on it, then sure. But I I think that a lot of people hold a lot of beliefs that they don't act on, and I would I'm just arguing that they're irrelevant. I agree they're irrelevant, but that's what and that's they what, do right. exist right, and that's what I'm trying to get to in the co-requisite of do different do differing beliefs hold different value. Mm. I think there is the pragmatic value they offer, which is. You have a belief that the world is um, that all colors are perceived differently by different people. Uh That has no practical effect on how you live your life, really, and never will. I don't. I can't see a way that it could. And as long as it doesn't, that belief, I would argue, is pragmatically valueless. It's not worth being discussed at all. Um, And I think for me, that's well, yeah. Even to the point where, if you could know that it's true or that it's false, it doesn't change it. Right. Even it's, if you could prove it to yeah. everyone else, it doesn't matter. No right. one cares. It's valueless. It would. It would be. It would be. It would become a fun fact in kids' books. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think now I, I think there's some caution needs to be taken here because I think what it sounds like is uh, we can begin to establish maybe a ranking scale by this. Uh, so you have things that are valueless and things that have value. Mm-hmm. Right. Now is. This a binary option, or is there a continuum of zero being valueless and then differing beliefs have increasing value? And I wanted to be careful because uh, when I made up the point about if you believe something, you know, I believe you could you could take it to be understood as the belief that you would act on the most, or they could have the yeah. most dramatic action yeah, is the that, most valuable. Yeah, we could come up with a ranking system whereby like the the belief. Basically setting up a ratio between the effort it takes to consider the belief weighed on how much it achieves in your actions. Right. Now, I think this is... but Yeah, but I, I think one thing to also keep in mind is that that doesn't necessarily... This valuation is just evaluating importance, not goodness or badness of the belief. Right. Because otherwise you can make the argument that, oh, if you believe something hard enough to die for it then it's an important belief and it needs to be respected or well, I, I don't necessarily think that's true yeah I think it, it, it's important because it's literally life and death at this point right. but that doesn't mean that it deserves respect right so uh, so I think that's our first two buckets or big buckets uh, if, if you if, if there are beliefs that if you held them then they don't affect you know the way you behave mm-hmm. now uh What about a belief that would. No, never mind. I was going to say, what about a belief that would change the way others would behave towards you? But that's not. You're not responsible for that. Right. Would you agree? Say say that one more time. Okay. I am not responsible for the way a belief I hold makes you feel. No. Or or the actions that you take because I hold a belief. No. That's a personal problem. Right. On my part. Okay. I'm just making sure. Uh, And that's what I'm saying is so. If it doesn't eschew any action on your part, it's not really worth debating or talking about uh, in any serious way. Might be fun, casual conversation, but I wouldn't waste any real it's time. Not on. really meaningful. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't try to change that person's mind, honestly, because I'd be wasting my time. Right. So, um, I guess. So now that we're in the realm of, we've narrowed the scope to beliefs that lead to actionable outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's another threshold. Uh, I think there are, I think there's a belief about beliefs that is also primarily important and separate. I, I think it, it's a special belief. <laughs> um, and it, I think it has to do with, well, I think it might be a school of beliefs. You know, for instance, if you believe that another person's beliefs can't be changed or you believe that your position cannot be changed what is the point in debating you know that would be a very important belief but i struggle to find how you could change that person's mind if they're not even willing to believe that it can be changed at all mm-hmm. right um so i i yeah that's you have a point there I have seen instances in which this could happen. Um, there are special cases in which you can sort of sneakily get them to consider that they're wrong without. Uh, ba- basically, you cannot be the one that presents it. You have to find a way to get them to consider their own beliefs, which is difficult but doable. Um, for instance, as was mentioned in our first episode, uh, street epistemology mm-hmm. is a is a place where I've seen this happen, uh, in which someone was convinced that they could not be convinced that their belief was false, and merely by pressing them on their reasons for holding the belief in the first place, they evoked doubt. Right, but I think as a secondary to that, the real I think it's if it's not a it's a limiting factor though in that. If you were to engage in a discussion about beliefs, that would always take the first priority. As in, you can't even really move on to other beliefs if the person doesn't believe that the belief can be changed. Like that needs that needs to be tackled first. And I would even argue that would make it very very difficult for differing people of differing belief systems to even have the discussion about it. Um, another one that I think is. Uh, another threshold I would hold is that um, I, I don't know that this could exist but I can conceive of it possibly existing uh, you, you hear the phrase we are just too different a lot mm-hmm. and it's, it's the proposition that there are two belief systems that are so out of alignment that you can't even really begin discussing them without things going awry Uh, And it's typically when people try to have really short discussions, or the discussion they're having is topical, and then it moves from being a topical to you start digging down on each other's belief systems. Right. You know, for instance, you know, an individual that believes in agency, whereas another one that doesn't, you know, that's a really deep, meaningful discussion. Right. But when it comes up in a really weird ad hoc scenario, where really that core belief changes your even school on how you approach the problem it's it's really difficult starting from that topic to figure out right or how sometimes questions can be raised which by by the very nature of the question the person who's being asked the question might find that it's malformed the question itself is malformed right they can't answer it because there's too many assumptions already implicit in the question that those have to be drilled down on first right uh and i think one last one that I conceived of is uh, as far as ideas that can be held that are really difficult to be cohabitating with is the idea that um, well put it put it, blunt, put it bluntly um, if you disagree with me you deserve to die like mm-hmm. you know the, or, or anything really to that effect you know uh, it's it's believing that we are not on the same level we are, we are not equal in human life value i guess Uh, or all human life is not i i hesitate to say equal but all human life has equal valuation as just being a person Mm -hmm. in the general sense not necessarily to an individual right we're we're all different right for sure and people can hold different valuations like my wife is way more important to me than anyone else Mm -hmm. and her life is worth more you know but that's on a that's taking it from a perspective i'm saying from a neutral expected perspective to humanity in general all human beings have roughly equal life value to the null observer right Right. so uh, those are three of the examples of where i don't really know that cohabitation is necessarily I, I would say it's at the very best it'd be very difficult if not nearly impossible right so um Okay, so I wanted to get in a little bit into epistemology okay. um, as a way of measuring the value of a belief. So what I mean by that is not necessarily the belief itself, like the, like the abstract belief, but the instance of the belief as held by a person. Um so, to, to weigh the value of a belief based on why you believe it. Okay. I need to hear more. You why? need to hear more. I need to hear Got more it. before I make a judgment. So, let's take religious fundamentalism. Okay. Pick any religion. Imagine a fundamentalist. Okay. Okay. By definition, a religious fundamentalist is someone who, as their first philosophical principle, assumes the religion is true. Okay. Right. Their, their fundamental claim... Is that the religion is true. Um, so when when pressed, when when a when a religious fundamentalist is pressed enough about why it is they hold their belief, they will fall back on something. They may call it a different word, but it's all faith. That's that's the concept that is always returned to. Um, I think that might be a generalization, but think so? I, I think it could be. I. I I honestly don't know enough to say. I just, whenever I hear words "always" or "all," I tend to call bullshit. Pardon my language, but that's fair. So yeah, acknowledging the risk of generalization here, and 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 also, and I'm going to I'm going to use more general language here. Oh, neat. Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to use general language to backpedal on my general language. Um, most people who Hold beliefs this way at first will not admit it and so if you if you ask someone is the only reason you believe this because of faith they'll probably say no well it could also be possible that they hold a belief without knowing you hold the belief. is that possible can you not not if you're a religious fundamentalist well are you sure though like yes you could well if, if your core philosophical principle is the doctrines of this religion are true you have to know that. Well, you can know it, but you may not consciously know it. I guess is the point I'm trying to get at. I I, I know that okay. it's. You see what I'm saying? Like it yeah. could be it could be the resulting suppose, truth like, that they missed... were indoctrinated in something, and so you think you have other reasons, and you haven't been pressed to. Right. No, well, no one has ever made you state outright that your fundamental principle is that your religion is true. Right. Well, and and you know, typically also with religions, it's people are usually indoctrinated at a very young age where. That's just assumed that it's true, and right. it's ingrained very deep that no, mm-hmm. oh, this is true. But if and if you ask them blunt, you know, blunt force, you know, do you believe that your religion is true? They're gonna say, yeah, yes. That's <laughs> why I hold it. You know, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the classic. I know that I know that I know that I know that this is true. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> right, and so it's. <laughs> I think. There might even be a little bit of a misconception when they say that I know this. It's that I I assume this. People people yeah, it's people not realizing what they mean by know. Right, and, and I guess that's what the point I'm trying to get at is that I would argue that they don't know, but that they just they are so deeply convicted that they will call it knowledge. Yeah, or yeah. or that they you know believe it. <laughs> that's that's I think what it right. is you know. And I think that really, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit your thunder and let you continue because I, I was about to reach a conclusion that I think you might be heading towards. So I'm, okay. a, I'm gonna let you finish, and not assume and make generalizations about where <laughs> you're going with this, David. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, so, so faith. So now, now imagine two religious fundamentalists of opposing religions. Uh, you know, and so we we question. Them. Let's say, let's say we have a, a Muslim and a, uh, a Hindu, Hindu, um, and we ask them, you know. Why, why is it that you believe what you believe? And, and we, we eventually get down to, well, I, I take it on faith. Okay, well, faith led the Muslim to Islam, and faith led the Hindu to Hinduism. Clearly, this is not a reliable way to arrive at conclusions. Right. Because we can take anything on faith. Sure. Well, I think faith it, and people also have a very hard time defining what faith even means. Sure. Yeah. I, I suppose I should have defined what I meant by it.
1: Yeah. Um, what do you when, when mean I say, when you faith, say faith and
0: what what it what uh, the, the thing that is normally reached that I'm talking about, whether it's referred to by different words or not, is belief without evidence. Okay. I was going. Yeah. Mine's essentially the same. Uh, my definition of faith is knowing because I know, essentially, is the, right. is the catty way to say it, um, or faith is, yeah, it's essentially, you know, belief without evidence, you know, because I said so, you know. Right, yeah, it's belief, kind of, yeah, belief by fiat, you know. You right, just, it's belief by fiat, and it's your, you're citing your own fiat in that case, right. except in faith's sake, it's you, it's intrapersonal, it's you enforcing your fiat over yourself right. to say that it's true, mm-hmm. so, you know but they don't realize that that essentially could be broadened to literally any belief anybody has ever held is you know because you reinforce i think you know human beings have a tendency to reinforce our own beliefs you know if you hold a set of beliefs right now you will tend to keep holding those beliefs in the next right. moment and you do that by reinforcing them through your daily life right and and the, the the thing, the thing that's important here about faith, because yeah, I, I should have, I should have defined that a lot sooner, because a lot of people have a lot of ideas about what faith means. Sure. You know, they, in fact, their definition of faith is that... may only be applicable to their own religion. Sure. And so then, by their definition, faith couldn't lead you to any other religion. Right. Um. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I need to be very clear here that that faith is is belief without evidence, the way I'm using it, and and the distinction between that and some other mechanism by which you can uh, form a belief is that when when you when you have evidence no one takes it on faith right and well and, and I think it goes back to what we said about truth you know because if you have evidence and it is true right the evidence points towards the truth uh-huh. the truth is indefensible no one needs to take it on faith right it will be true and it is true. And that's it. And you know, and I hear what's really dastardly. I would say is you know you hear people, especially in religious circles, abuse the truth. I feel like, or abuse the word truth. You know, going so far as to label their text or their deity as the truth. Like that's their name. They're called that. You know, mm-hmm. and that's really misleading. I feel like in some cases because it's a word game. Yeah, that's all it is. You, let's take this word that has an established meaning, basically everyone agrees on it, and let's just mean something totally different. Right. Well, and I think, you know, that's, this is an easy, easy segue, which kind of brings us back to our topic as well, or mm-hmm. back closer to our topic. Uh, as far as, you know, the whole concept of my truth or my beliefs, you know, that's what people. that's what people really mean when they say my truth. It's my belief. Right. You know, you don't have a truth. Well, except for those people who actually do believe in subjective reality, but we'll not go there right now. Okay. When they can prove that to me, then they can have the truth. I guess. But uh, sorry, let's move on. I guess. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off on that one. Sure. So now let's let's contrast this with science. Okay. Okay. Contrast faith with science. You know, uh, when we figure something out scientifically. We have reasons to be very confident about what we figured out. And and it goes beyond just the, the theory, of course, because science manifests itself in technology. We have things before us that we use on a daily basis that are the result of scientific discoveries. Um, so in, in this way, science has a lot more of a leg to stand on because if you if you want to put Science on the same pedestal with faith. It, you're you're exercising great mental gymnastics because they you know look look at the things that science achieves and look at the things that faith achieves. It it doesn't figure things out about the universe that science can. Right. Well, I would even go back to one of our original premises as well when it comes to belief systems. Is it's the resulting action from the from holding that belief right i would argue that most modern technologies if not all of them are directly result resultant from an individual's belief in science i would make that argument you know uh, or or the yeah the, the physical application of the belief you know i'm not going to try to say that you know there couldn't that every scientist out there only believed in science, and that's why we have TVs today. You know? Right. Uh, I I wouldn't make that argument, but it's the truth. You know, it's... You can't... If if you you can't believe in woo-woo and achieve the consistency required in a belief... In in an outcome to truly change something, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Right. Change... Changing and having an impact on the world is something that I feel like is very difficult for religions to prove that they've done in any other way but negative. And I, I, I'll say that. Um, and I know I'm lumping and making my sweeping generalization now, but uh, I would argue and, and I would argue that every you know a lot of the great atrocities that have occurred in the scope of mankind have been religiously motivated, right? And or the belief in the religion across individuals is what enabled it, you know. And I'm not saying that any that only religious beliefs can be manipulated to achieve that. You know, there were Nazi scientists who I firmly believe just believed in the science, and it was unhealthy because it, you know, they 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 elevated their desire to follow science above other more basic, just human altruistic. Mm-hmm. That, uh, values and beliefs but it, it, when it comes to you know seeing the impact on the world religions have existed in the human society for practically since humans existed I would argue mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have the evidence for that but they go back forever you know uh, and I'm I maybe just making a uh, loose generalization I'd, have to, I'd probably have to come back and defend this on a later date <laughs> um, once I've accrued more facts it may change my mind, but you know when you look at the t- when did science really begin? When did science really start getting a start getting adopted as a I guess a formalized belief system or a way by which you could form a belief? You know. Actually, I have the answer to that, and it's in my notes. Ah, neat. That was unplanned, by the way. Right. Uh, so I wanted to talk about the Islamic Golden Age, mm. like the Baghdad House of Wisdom. Right. Age? Nice, um, because that that really is where science, as we know it today, got started. Um, it was it was during that time. Now, this is a span of a few hundred years. I think it was from loosely from the eighth to the fourteenth century, um, in which uh, in in the Middle East, in Iraq, near Baghdad, um, uh, and also in Baghdad, there was there was a culture of of uh, open mindedness and uh, anyone was welcome, and this is where some of the world's greatest discoveries and inventions took place, at least the the ones upon which everything else that we do today stands upon. Um, consider uh, algebra, right? Right. Pretty important, invented during this time. Right, well there's a reason we use uh, Arabic script for numbers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right, Arabic numerals. Uh, yeah. th- the word algorithm is Arabic. Um, all, all these things were, were concocted during this time, um, and and the uh, the person whose name that I've forgotten, uh, who is credited with being the first true scientist, was actually uh, during this time in this area. Hmm. Nice. Meanwhile, the Europeans were busy burning heretics. Right. <laughs> um, you know, let, let's let's not forget about that. That that there's a reason that the. Islamic world was doing this and the European world wasn't. And then in around mm, somewhere between 1,000 and 1100, 11th century, um, uh, this guy uh, writes writes a book and I, I, I struggle to remember his name as well, uh, but uh, he, he writes a book basically about how to be a good Muslim. Um, and he he is analogous to some of the the well-known Christian writers of this time as well, who ha- wrote supplemental literature to the Bible, which told people how to be good Christians. You know, like the we're, beatitudes and stuff like that. Well, the beatitudes are in the Bible. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which Bible are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> They're in the Gospels. Right. Um. Anyway, but uh, but basically. Outside the Quran, telling people, this is how you can be a good Muslim. Well, this guy was a mystic. And he was very troubled by the open-mindedness of the Islamic Golden Age. And within his writings, he included the assertion that the manipulation of numbers was evil. Neat. Right. And so then as, as this idea began to spread around, that... Was a large contributor to the death of the Islamic Golden Age. It was finally put to an end because of invasions, um, you know, invasions of the uh, of the area in which a lot of literature was destroyed. Uh, but still, that writer played a big part in uh, in its decline before its final collapse. Um, and then uh, now, I, I'm not so clear on the history of how the how Europe got got flipped into uh, into doing what they were doing. I mean, th- this is the Enlightenment, of course. Right, well, the Enlightenment, the yeah. Renaissance, things like that. Right. I in, mean, it, in which Europe stopped burning heretics and started doing science. Well, because they started drinking coffee. That's what it really <laughs> was. coffee. It was coffee. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm somewhat joking, but, you know, <laughs> we switched from alcohol to coffee, and it got a lot better. <laughs> this is true. You know what? I'll take that. Uh, I'm going to drop the link to that video that I got that from uh, as well. Yes. Um, but, and and then, then, of course, and you, and you know what the situation in the Middle East is today. It's never recovered since. Um, and so th- this goes to show that it doesn't... Um, the overarching culture is what matters more than the popular belief system, and that, that since they had a culture of open-mindedness and allowing anyone to participate, they were able to make all these advancements. And as soon as they stopped, that's when it fell apart, right? And reverse with Europe. Well, I I would argue that okay, we've not really dug much into what culture even is. Sure. So I mean, that's going to be a whole other video of us talking, you know, talking about what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I like that phrase. I'm going to coin that. Yeah. (laughs) T-shirt. T.M. Uh, Um, but ultimately, you know. I think you hit on something when it comes to the cohabitation of belief systems. I think that differing belief systems can cohabitate as long as they're all facilitated within a culture. Right. Uh, And I think that's ultimately what it is. And I think, not to get too topical or modern on it, but that's, I think, what you see being a a problem right now. Mm -hmm. And especially in American politics is... Everyone's talking about division 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 this division that we're so divided and it's all finger pointing as to who's actually doing it And it's irrelevant because we all do it. If you're pointing a finger you're doing it. Yeah, you're doing it yeah. uh, and, and the thing about it is, is There is a deep-seated cultural shift going on mm-hmm. that's and people call it the culture war You can't have a war if there's not multiple sides, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> at least you know two Except for civil wars, but even then there's still two. There's still two sides. Yeah, I, I almost was like, "Damn, I just contradict myself." But <laughs> um, that's what's going on. There's there's a there are two fundamentally, and that's the thing about it, they're fundamental beliefs. Mm-hmm. They're very very different, and their core beliefs off which other beliefs can easily be built. They they serve as strata very well like back to my i you know back to the belief we discussed earlier about everyone's being able to see different colors in their eyes because mm-hmm. they perceive them differently whatever yeah. not a very fundamental idea you know there's not a whole other other ideas you can take from that idea and start putting together a logical chain of congruency no. right whereas a really deep idea of hmm which is more important fun phrase when you put more yeah Um, Because now you're implying preference and you begin hierarchically ranking things. Mm -hmm. That's where the real problem, I think, gets started for most people. Um, Because I think we all hold roughly the same beliefs, but it's the order in which we hold those beliefs. That's where most of our problems come Mm -hmm. from. Uh, Which is more important. uh, People being equal or people being free. Mm -hmm. That is the core issue, I think, in a majority of what's going on in America today. That's all we're going to say about it because... You know we don't like getting too topical because we're not about to start chasing news cycles and crap like that. No. But it but it just goes to show it, it exists even today. The culture during the Islamic Golden Age changed, and it's you had two different two differing idea systems that were not compatible. They did not cohabitate. You know, cohabitate, coexist, coexist. I hate that bumper sticker. But yeah, essentially coexist, um, and so I guess that's the ultimate or the penultimate about this topic of the cohabitation of belief systems. Yeah, I, I think that they did achieve something great. Although I would like to, um, I would like to make an assertion though. Ooh, okay. Um, that although they achieved this for a considerable amount of time. It did fall apart, and I think that there, I think that it was inevitable that it did fall apart because, because it was surrounded by this culture that was so vulnerable to mysticism and, and things of that nature and, and religious fundamentalism that it it was, it was precarious from the start. Um, and I, and my assertion is that because of things like this, coexistence is a feudal goal. Okay. That's a, your that's your a <laughs> goal. Your goal cannot be to coexist. Um. Of course, in pursuit of our goals, we must coexist, or else we'll fight, which is not what we want either. Well, we still fight. We just change the, the enemy sure. from each other to uh, a greater common enemy. But I I, I think that um, I think if you want lasting peace, and prosperity, there has to be convergence. Not necessarily everyone converging to the same thing on everything, but... Cultural when, convergence. When we're talk, yeah, cultural convergence. Well, and, and... Convergence of fundamental belief systems. Well, that's... Well, yeah, but based the, on what the we The fringe kinda... conclusions of, of the belief system can be different. Right. Well, that's what we had said. Like, a the culture in is, in essence in this case is the cohabit the cohabitable fundamental belief systems uh-huh. so they're, they're the ones that can get a, they're the ones that are congruent you know maybe not in priority but in not always in priority but they're all there and no two really conflict enough with the other to tear the system apart mm-hmm. you know like you said the, the take them as you will and craft really wonky conclusions but as long as you still hold the underlying beliefs you're okay Right. You know, and I tend to agree uh, with that, actually. I I didn't agree at first, because uh, when a little uh, communist uh, manifesto on me for a second, (laughs) I was like, whoa, okay. So, um, yeah, this is a good talk, and we can coexist. (laughs) All right, let's start killing our neighbors. (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) Um, But ultimately, I I do agree, now that you've kind of brought it back from insanity by clarifying. (laughs) Yeah, let me me just say that, uh, yeah, I I think that it should be a convergence, not a... uh, Culling. Right. You, you might want to switch the order in which you dis- describe those things if you ever give that in any kind of interview to anyone that yeah. might be televised. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then further, because so so the underlying belief in the Islamic Golden Age was, of course, Islam. The 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 well, the underlying belief that made the situation precarious anyway. Um, and I think I think a problem with that is that it's based on faith. That that there's no reason to believe it, except if you want to. That's pretty much the only reason. And so then, be, because it's based on these whims, then the people who do believe it are vulnerable to anyone else being able to say something that convinces them to take action on behalf of the religion and, uh, and tear apart whatever else is going on around them. Um, I guess this is a roundabout way of me saying that the faith can't be a building block. It well, can't be a fundamental building block. Yes, and more specifically, the building blocks on which we need to converge are reason, science, pragmatism, and a concern for truth. Hmm. So I sounds like you're laying out a thesis there a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Hmm. We'll have to dig into that more a little uh, later. Uh, I guess... You know, because we, we're coming kind of to a close here. We, we've been at this for a little while. I'm starting to get hungry and tired. Um, but I, coming to a close, I would tend to agree. And I, I would actually be, this has kind of inspired me to take an interest in looking at societies uh, that have existed and that currently exist. Because you hear a lot about, especially in the United States, Judeo Christian values being the fundamental core of the American way you know you hear uh, we hear that a lot we also hear things uh, that's something I hear a lot and that's interesting you know because it there are people who go all day elaborating on those points but Uh at, at its core it still holds the same faith based fundamental flaw or chink you know in the armor Sure. Well, it's also not true, right? But, but that aside, it it may. It, here's the thing: it just like with the closing of the golden, uh, the Islamic Golden Age, it doesn't have to be true if people believe it is what changes. This is is what changes things, right? You know, the truth doesn't change anything. It's how it's whether or not people believe it, right? That really changes things, and so the fact that it's believed makes it. In essence, for the sake of the society, real as a threat. Mm. Not, you know, abstractly materializing as real, but it poses real threat or it, it's a real motivating factor. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really would like to do is go back and look at, you know, all cultures or all societies, empires. The, the further back you go, culture is almost synonymous with nation because. Everyone with a similar culture just kind of lopped themselves into a group, you know, Mm -hmm. golden zone nation. Now we don't necessarily define nation states that way. A lot of the borders kind of still line up that way, but we don't necessarily define it that way. Um, But all, all, you know, only the nations in existence right now at this moment are the only nations that haven't ever fallen apart. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason for us to believe that they won't at some point fall apart. Right. Rome lasted for over a thousand years depending mm-hmm. on what you call Rome. Yeah. Um, but it fell apart. It doesn't exist anymore you know and I would like to look at decline of these great nations and even smaller nations all around the world and see what led to their decline ones that weren't just conquered you know because that's typically if you look back through history that's the resulting answer what happened to the romans oh they got conquered by the gauls and the barbarians and that was it they got chipped away one at a time Mm. but you but if they were strong enough to establish in the first place why weren't they able to be strong enough to hold it there's a weakness that forms and it grows Mm. you know and not to be an alarmist or anything but living in the united states it's it's one of those things where, you know, I, I had a friend that I talked to the other day ask me, well, he, he just kind of asserted, but he asserted it in a sort of a questioning way. He's like, uh, you know, America's probably peaked, you know? You know, what does that mean? Right. Like, are we, is it really, because at some point you peak. There, there's a peak in every continual strata. There's only one maximum point, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, is it all downhill from here or not or what? You know, and how can we solve it? And it's not coming from a, I care so much about my country, you know, America type thing. It's, there isn't a society represented in the world on a national level so much that I would want to move there besides where I live now. Mm -hmm. And it might just be because my belief system just so happens to line up where I believe, where I live because I was raised in it. But, you know, that's a problem, because I don't want to, you know, hundreds of years down the road for this to fall over and there'd be a golden age that's then just re-engulfed in darkness because we built the golden age off of, you know, flawed, fundamental cultural principles. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to get depressed talking about this. <laughs> it is. It's easy because, you know, I, I think to myself all the time, what, how do you change a culture? Can one person do it or can two people do it or can uh, – what would it take for a belief to, you know, swirl into the culture and actually change things? And I – and that was one of the reasons I wanted to start this, you know, podcast and talk about it. It wasn't to change the culture, but it was to additionally figure out is the truth enough? Like if you can chase – if you can be the best at chasing the truth, you know, and – use what that nets you in knowledge to better the world enough is it enough you know because i would argue that while people have said that the united states was founded on judeo-christian values what really made it a dominant nation has a lot to do with the technological advancements it's that simple you know we as americans enjoy unparalleled luxury as a culture, like as an entire country, not on an individual level necessarily, but as a group, we enjoy the vastest luxuries that a hundred years ago would have been inconceivable. And it's mostly due to technology, you know. Our ability to change the world to benefit us. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when this convergence happens, if it happens on the terms you laid out, I speculate that it would be one that is peakless. It's a society that would then just continue onwards towards a singularity. Name dropping, term dropping there, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a very speculative end of this episode. Um, I'm okay with that. I, I'm, I'm too. It's it's more positive. I feel a lot better now. Still hungry, but I feel a lot better. <laughs> um, so, do we need to conclude anything, as not to just wander off here? I've made my thesis, so. You made your thesis. That's my conclusion. All right. So, maybe not next week, but at some point I'm going to have to have you defend that thesis. Okay. Whether I want to attack it or not, I must to, uh, you know, find the truth mm-hmm. in it. So, all right. We got a lot of sources this week. we got to wrap up. Mm -hmm. including some that are like, I don't remember this guy's name, but he wrote a book about being a good Muslim, so I hope you can find me a link for that. I can. Okay. All right. Anything else in I'm. I'm good. I'm satisfied with this. Me too. All right. So we'll be back next week. To talk about something else. To talk about something else that may or may not be planned. Philosophers. Philosophers.